Welcome to the Staying Ageless Podcast, a show that will equip you with the major keys to achieve extraordinary longevity. This is your girl, Asosa E, also known as Raw Girl. I'm a certified nutrition specialist and behavioral coach. And today on the show, we'll be talking about how to not be a victim of the American healthcare system. To get this longevity party started, I'll be giving some tips on how to safely access the American healthcare system and ways to avoid falling victim. And later, we'll be chatting with our expert for today, Dr. David Wilcox. I'm so grateful to have each and every one of you tuning into the show from all over the world. Shout out to listeners in the USA, the UK, Ireland, the Netherlands, Jamaica, Spain, South Africa, France, Germany, and so much more. If today's show inspires you, I'm inviting you to go ahead and subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It means the world to me to get feedback, so any reviews are much appreciated. Hey, y'all. Hey. We've had a few conversations on this podcast about how the Western system of medicine needs work and some of its failings. These conversations haven't been to demonize Western medicine, but to point to the need for better care, better options for patients, and how combining holistic treatment or recommendations could actually make our healthcare system better. Black people in America, and Black women in particular, face risk to their health from discrimination, both from health professionals who don't take their concerns seriously and from biological wear and tear caused by chronic stress induced by racism. I witness this almost every single day in my practice, and I often hear horrifying stories from my patients who have experienced unimaginable trauma, dismissal, or neglect at the hands of doctors. This has to change. Until things change, you need to be aware of some of the issues that can arise when seeking medical care and be prepared to protect yourself in those environments. Here are a few things that you can do to be better prepared First off, do your research on the doctors and institutions that you go to. If you haven't been doing this, sis, you got to start now, okay? Whenever you have a reason to visit a doctor or health institution, make sure you do proper research to find out as much as possible about their practices, any issues they've had. Not all doctors have the same outcome, and some can even have a long track record of negligent behavior. Make sure the practitioner you choose does not have a ton of outstanding complaints and that the patients generally are saying good things about their experience. If you can get referrals via word of mouth or from another practitioner you like, even better. And make sure the institutions that you're going to are actually equipped to handle the issue that you're going there for. Some institutions just don't have enough budget for certain types of you know, conditions or certain equipment is, is missing. Be aware of all of this before you go ahead and sign up and use them um, to deal with your health care. All right. Make sure you also understand what nutrients are being depleted by your medication. This is huge, huge, huge. Let's face it. Many times we don't read about the side effects of numerous medications were prescribed by doctors. A lot of times they actually don't even review these side effects with us. Almost all medication depletes certain nutrients that are also needed by your body. And usually your doctor won't let you know about these nutrients. I'm usually the person, when I meet with people, I always look at their medications and make sure that they are supplementing things that their medications are depleting. It's up to you to ask the right questions and also find out what nutrients you need. And then you can go ahead from there and figure out how to fill the gap with supplements and also your diet. Make sure you also consider non-medical options for treatment, especially if you have a chronic disease. 
You want to seek guidance for diet and lifestyle changes. I find that I save my clients so much time and money that was lost just by addressing their health issues from a holistic perspective. Almost all diagnoses given, especially when it comes to chronic diseases like diabetes, hypertension, heart disease, and others, can not only be treated or managed, but actually reversed by diet and lifestyle changes. Just as an example, many clients I've worked with that have fibroids and have actually been able to successfully shrink their fibroids say that they were told surgery was their only option. However, undergoing surgery without diet and lifestyle changes actually greatly increases the likelihood that the fibroid will grow back. All this to said, all this said to say, before you put yourself under the knife or subject yourself to tons of medication, seek out other alternatives that can serve you better and actually make for better health long term. Fourth, I want you to advocate for yourself. In the event that your doctor is not empathetic or you feel like your needs are being neglected or you have a traumatic experience, I hope that never happens to you, but please report health professionals when possible and also seek a second opinion. It's really important that we all start doing this so that health practitioners can actually be held accountable and those that are really about improving patients' lives can receive the recognition they deserve. This is something I often tell my clients because I hear too many reports especially about Black women who face racist healthcare um, practitioners or have been subject to neglect or trauma. If you find yourself in such a situation, please report the health professional and make sure that you find another doctor that actually resonates with you and can give you the empathetic care that you deserve. Last but not least, focus on promoting your health through true health insurance rather than waiting for an adverse event that will require you to have medical care. Don't wait, child. Don't wait to get your health together, basically, is what I'm trying to say. A proactive approach can seem expensive in the short term, but it will actually lead to savings in the long run. You don't want those hospital bills. You can do this by paying close attention to your diet, reducing stress, and adopting lifestyle practices that help you live your best, healthiest life. All right, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to chat with our amazing guest. So stay tuned. I am super excited to announce the launch of the new destination I created for online programs called Staying Ageless University. At Staying Ageless University, we create epic content to teach you about holistic wellness and transformational healing programs to help you achieve extraordinary longevity. We believe that learning is an essential component of healing and creating lasting change, and every one of our programs are created from protocols that I have tried and tested on clients who have achieved optimal wellness by following them. Our signature programs include Staying Ageless 30 Plus, which is designed to help women 30 plus interested in staying fly till you're 99 or close to it create lasting healthy rituals, and the all-new Raw Girls Hormonal Balancing Academy for women suffering with fibroids, PCOS, endometriosis, cysts, or menopausal symptoms if you're ready to use holistic means to take control of your hormones and get your life back. We also have two new programs that are amazing for New Year's clean starts, Detox Your Life, which includes 30-day plant-based detox, either raw or vegan, and Candida and Parasites Be Gone for those who are ready to kick Candida overgrowth or parasites to the curb for good. Enrollment is now open for three of our programs, and we officially launched January 1st, 2021. You can learn more about us and our program offerings at stayingagelessuniversity.com. Hope to see you in class. When I lived in LA, I was at the beach all of the time. 
<laughs> the beach was my happy place. After going to the beach, I would always stop by this amazing raw food restaurant. They had the most delicious food, burritos, cinnamon rolls. I was obsessed. Fast forward to this year when I wanted to give myself a jump start on raw, I discovered that this amazing restaurant that I used to frequent had transitioned to nationwide delivery of fully prepared raw meals. It's called Raw Evolution, and for 20 years, they've been serving the finest and most vibrant living foods meals. They offer a raw box, which includes two fresh pressed juices, four gourmet entrees, four generous sides, and two delicious low glycemic desserts. The raw box is designed to provide one person with about four to five days of lunches and dinners. I also love that the menu changes each week, so there's always lots of variety. I get a lot of inquiries from listeners and clients alike who want to go raw and feel like it's not sustainable time-wise. If this is you, this is an amazing solution to get your raw jumpstart. Head on over to rawvolution.com and use the code RAWGIRL to receive a discount on your first purchase. Today's guest is Dr. David Wilcox. He is a healthcare professional who believes in proactive patient education, which enables those accessing the healthcare system to be better partners in their healthcare. He also believes that everyone has the right to access the American healthcare system safely. Dr. Wilcox is a doctorate-prepared nurse who also holds a master's in health administration and is board-certified in nursing informatics. Dr. Wilcox has 28 years of healthcare experience in which he worked as a bedside nurse hospital administrator, and in healthcare information technology, which has helped him to develop his unique perspective on the American healthcare system. Dr. Wilcox has been published in Health Management Technology for his work in patient throughput, American Nurse Today for his work in healthcare mobility solutions, and the American Organization of Nurse Leaders, Voice for the Use of Technology in Wellness and Patient Engagement. Dr. Wilcox is the author of the book, how to Avoid Being a Victim of the American Healthcare System, A Patient's Handbook for Survival. Dr. Wilcox is a past member of the Institute of Healthcare Improvement's Flow Community and has presented at multiple national conferences. He currently resides in North Carolina with his wife and their three dogs. Thank you so much, Dr. Wilcox, for joining me on Staying Ageless. I'm really excited to have you here. And here, I'm excited here. to be here. I know. And look, I got your book. Yay! <laughs> How to avoid being a victim of the American healthcare system. It was a very good read. I highly recommend it to everyone, honestly, because it's unfortunate, but it seems as though we need a guide. <laughs> like we need a guide to survive all of the crazy that happens. It seems like healthcare should be so much more simple, but it's not. And it seems like the pandemic has made things even more, um, or made it more aware for many people that, like, oh, you know, we have a lot to deal with when it comes to healthcare. Um, but before we get into all that, I kind of want to know how your journey through healthcare and then like what led you to even write this book in the first place? Sure. So, um, my journey in healthcare, I have a multiply handicapped daughter that I took mm -hmm. care of for years and, um, took her in and out of the system. And I was, I was working for and manufacturing at the time, got laid off and decided I wanted to go and become a nurse. So I started there because I had a lot of respect for the clinicians who took care of my daughter and I wanted to learn more about healthcare. Well, that journey fast forward over the years has led me to many degrees. Um, in fact, I have, 
I, with my wife, I've had gotten four different degrees and she's told wow. me I can't even take a Facebook quiz. She said, you're done, mister. <laughs> so <laughs> balance, right, balance. right, exactly. So, um, so when I got done with my latest degree, which was a doctorate in, in uh, executive nursing, okay. I decided that I wanted to share what I knew about the healthcare system because so many people access it. And I've seen this as a bedside nurse and as a hospital administrator and even in healthcare IT. When they walk into a unit, they're scared. They don't know what to expect. They've got to wear this gown that exposes their backside. You know, they've got to eat at specific times. People can come see them at specific times unless you're in COVID, then nobody can come see you. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it, it's, I thought to myself, you know, healthcare is complex and it's complex for a reason. It's complex because the entities who are vying for your healthcare dollars don't really want you to know what's going on. The less mm -hmm. you know about it, the better off they are because then they can, you know, charge you more for procedures and things like that. And I thought, you know, nobody's ever done this before. How do I get the information that I know out into the hands of the American people? I learned a long time ago that when I was an ICU nurse, I could change somebody's outcomes for a 12-hour shift or two people's outcomes for a 12-hour shift, depending on my patient load. Um, and then I went into healthcare administration and I could change what was going on in the hospital for the hmm. better, hopefully for the better. And then I went into healthcare IT and I could change the way that communities were getting care. Hmm. Um, and I thought, what's the best way to just hit a lot of people and let them know what's going on in healthcare? And that's when I decided to write the book. Wow. Super cool. So glad you did. Um, really great information in there. I mean, I don't even know where to start, but I guess let's start with the ho just hospital, just the hospital. <laughs> the hospital <laughs> hospitals really bother me. Um, I will say this book and certain stories you mentioned resonated with me because I've had one experience where I almost died in a hospital or I could have died because I was mishandled. And so it it really is a problem. Um, I just it just I know it's a problem, but I, I noticed that you one of the main points at the beginning is we need to do our research. And I feel like, but I feel like the average person really has no idea how to do that. And then an emergency comes up, and then you need to go to the hospital. So you just pick the one that's near you and you go. Exactly. <laughs> so, so how do we how do we get out of that like reactive? Uh, you know, choosing and then actually get information that's helpful for us to figure out where we should get our health care. So you hit the nail on the head. So proactively learning about the American healthcare system is what people need to do, because it, it, when you access it, and I saw this so many times over my career, when you access it, this is not the time to learn about the American healthcare system. So medical errors were the third leading cause of death up oh until COVID. Um, right. And now they're number four because of COVID. Wow. But that is crazy because if you if you go into a hospital, first of all, you're taking if you're taking certain medications at home and medications are a big area where you can get hurt. There's going to be three or four different names for every medication that you take. So when the nurse is coming by and usually it's in a hurry because they have many more patients than they should have. And they'll say, here, I'm going to give you your medications. They dump a bunch of pills into your hand and you look at them and you say, well, I don't recognize some of these. Can you tell me what this pill is for? You should be asking questions. You should never just take a pill. I was talking with a podcast host and he told me that a nurse came into his wife's room when she was recovering from surgery and mm -hmm. started drawing up insulin. And he said, what are you doing? 
And she said, I'm going to give her her insulin. And he said, she doesn't take, she's not diabetic. She doesn't take insulin. Oh my Turns God. out she had the wrong chart open. So oh my God. those things happen. And because of the stress on our caregivers, like doctors and nurses, they really are upset with the system that they have to work within because they don't listen to them. And nurses and doctors are taxed with taking care of as many patients as possible until something goes wrong and then you can't take care of your patients because all your you know attention is going to that one person who's having problems. So it's not a very good setup at all to stay safe then. Yeah. You have to be able to ask questions about medications. Tylenol as an example has three different names. There's a generic name, there is a brand name, and if you get it IV, which not a lot of people know, there's another name for Tylenol. So it's always important to ask questions around medications. That's one of the biggest tips. The second biggest tip I would say is if you don't have a nurse in your network or a medical professional, you need to get one because I can't tell you how many times I get hit on my phone from mm-hmm. somebody who's saying, hey, I'm going to the emergency department. Will you stand by just in case I need you? But because, right. I mean, especially in COVID when you can't have anybody else come in. Yeah. Creepy. Yeah. yeah. And- <laughs> it's really, really frightening. And I feel for all the families who literally have to like watch their loved one disappear and can't like, you know, be with them. That's really disturbing. The, the other thing about hospitals that I can't stand um, is, um, and then I, I'm always helping my clients avoid the hospital. So I've now dealt with six or seven cases of COVID, including two pregnant women who have, we've uh, actually avoided the hospital and they've been fine. But I've had a couple patients call me because they know what I do. And they're like, hey, what do I do? My mom's in the hospital. This is the issue. And I'm like, you need to get her food because the food that they're providing is going to make her worse. Right. You're exactly correct. It makes me so crazy. Like when my dad was in the hospital, I was on the food like crazy. I was like, nope, nope, nope. Not allowed to eat that, that, and that. Here's all the things that he's allowed to eat. I would have them delivered, but it was a real problem. Yeah. The, definitely. The food is, of course, you know, the cheapest you can get um, with little to no nutritional value in it. Um, I mean, they're cooking They're cooking for the masses. I actually did a little stint as a hospital cook. Really? Um, yeah. Way back with, between my manufacturing job and before I graduated nursing school. And cool. the stuff that they had us cooking in the big vats because you're cooking for hundreds of people. Um, was just crazy. I mean, and they arranged it to look the best it could, but you knew going out the door that that that, that was just junk. It should but not does go into anyone, anybody's body. I, like, did you know the history of this by any chance? I'm just curious because I'm like, how could anyone feasibly think if they were thinking logically, <laughs> at least for me, because I'm a nutritionist, I'm like, okay, if someone's in the hospital and they have diabetes and now I give them a muffin and, you know, white bread and jello and some juice. How is that going to help their A1C, you know? Yeah. So you have to understand how dietary works within the hospital system. Okay. So very few hospital systems actually own their dietary department. So what they do is they source it out to like Sodexo or some of the other big names. And then they come in, they charge the hospital a certain price that doesn't go up or go down. And then, of course, they try to find the cheapest stuff that they can find to push that out the door so they can make the maximum profit. Because this is, after all, America, right? So that's what they're trying to do is maximize their profits. But much to what you've said, um, you know, there, there are times... 
I can remember working in a hospital in the South when we would take care of people who had had heart attacks and, and dietary would bring them up fried chicken wings and things like that. And, and I would just shake my head. In fact, the time, the nine years I spent in a hospital uh, as a, a bedside nurse and then a hospital administrator, I never ate in the cafeteria. Not once. Wow. I brought in salads. I brought in my own food because right. it was not safe. It was right. just not safe to eat that stuff. Wow. Wow. Well, one of my, like one of the first things that I would do if I was creating a hospital is make sure that the food, like people should be detoxing while they're in the hospital. One of my colleagues who's been on this podcast, Dr. Baxter Montgomery, he literally has revived people with chronic illness by just putting green foods in their, you know, in their IV, making sure they're detoxing. And it's like, it would be so lovely if you go to the hospital and they're like, here's a green juice. Yeah. <laughs> you, know you've, you know, you've had a hard day. Here's a green juice. But anyway. Well, well so <laughs> let's, let's explore that a little further. So okay. the, the healthcare system is one fifth of our economy. It was 17.3% of the GDP in 2019. Wow. Now up to 19.7. So it's about to become wow. one quarter of our economy. Wow. The pharmaceutical entities and the insurance companies who are pretty much unregulated and make quite a bit of profit are profiting off the fact that people aren't detoxing in the hospital. So ah. it's that, you know, take a pill, it cures all kind of American mindset that uh, is at work. So if you're if you have a problem with A1C, let me give you a pill or a shot as opposed to really looking at your problem on if you get that white bread and muffin and all that, you know, well, then we'll just give you a little bit more medication. I mean, yeah. that's that's basically it. Uh, so it's a very profitable in, profitable industry and nobody really wants to go after the holistic care or taking care of the person with food, taking care of the person to understand their environment is calming and they can get some sleep. People come out of the hospital, they're a train wreck. They haven't slept in, you know, in three or four nights. They've been eating crap. They've been taking pills that they don't know what works. They get thrown a bunch of discharge information and patient teaching right before they go out the door where you'll sign anything just to get out of there and go see your husband, wife, significant other, dog. I mean, it's it's just crazy the way the healthcare system works. And um, that's why I think it's really important that my book and other people that I'm starting to see come out now to disrupt the healthcare system because it, it severely needs to be disrupted. And again, going back to the point that people really need to proactively learn what to do mm -hmm. when they get in that situation, because at some point, everybody's going to need healthcare. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's so good. So a lot of my clients, I primarily see women, I addressed all of their health issues from a holistic perspective. So I'm a nutritionist, but we're able to actually, people come with a problem and they leave without it. This is what I do. And I That's love great. it. Um, but it's one thing that really bothers me with dealing with my clients is they tell me, because they feel very comfortable with me, they tell me a lot of stories of uh things that happened to them while they were in the medical space, things that were said to them, crazy traumatic incidences. And I'm like, oh my God. Um, and I'm just curious from your point, of your uh, perspective, you mentioned that like, it's really difficult sometimes to address um, or report mistakes really in the healthcare community and that there can be retribution for that. If someone's a patient and they have a horrible experience with the healthcare provider, what should they really do? Is there anything they can do? Can they do something if they go to a hospital visit and, you know, people are, I don't know, negligent or try to give them the wrong medication or any of this stuff? 
Yeah. So, so there's a couple of ways I want to answer that. First, proactively, you can look at centers of Medicare and Medicaid.gov. You can mm-hmm. look at your hospital and see what it's at on a one to five star rating. Oh, so, yeah. So if you have a hospital in your local area, like I did when I had to go to an emergency room visit, that was a two star hospital. I knew I was had to watch my butt when I went right. in that hospital and, and being somebody in medical. So there's that. You can do that. You can also look up your physician okay. to see what they have. But the biggest thing you can do is, is you can call the centers of Medicare and Medicaid if you have a bad situation. They also give you these um, surveys at the end of your hospital stay. A lot mm-hmm. of people don't know this, but they're, the hospital's reimbursed on those surveys. So my mm-hmm. two-star hospital was getting less per a total knee procedure than the four-star hospital a couple towns over because of their star ratings. So you can actually, with those with those surveys, you can call out when somebody's done something really well, which is important, mm-hmm. or you can call out when somebody's made a mistake. That is the government's first stab at trying to control what's going on in a hospital and produce quality outcomes. So okay. that's very important that you fill those surveys out and fill them out truthfully. Okay. All right. That makes sense. Hmm. And you can report a lot of stuff on those surveys. Hmm. Hmm. Good to know. Now, insurance, I'm sure (laughs) insurance is so crazy to me. I'm like, I don't even see the, I'm in the business of health promotion. So I'm like, this is a waste of my life. I'd rather spend my money on my acupuncture visit, my kinesiologist, my chiropractor, whatever, just anything other (laughs) than this, because I'm interested in being healthy. Right. in this day and age, it's like, okay, well, if you need insurance and you got to deal with, you're trying to figure out why whenever you, you know, submit a claim, you can't get it through. I was reading that chapter and I was like, my God, you had to call an entire senator to get a claim. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, this is crazy. So, I mean, what, I mean, what do you, I mean, what do you recommend in general when dealing with dealing with uh, insurance companies? Is there a way to know? what's better insurance to get. I feel like, I feel like I can't even figure that out. Um, Sure. So the insurance companies sit between the actual physicians and hospitals and you and they, and they're the payer. So they have an awful lot of power. One thing that you should know is that 30% of every dollar that you pay to insurance goes to administration. Yes. I saw that. That was frightening. (laughs) Yeah. So it costs a lot to get your insurance for a middleman to sit in between and they'd love to take your money, but when you start to submit claims, they're going to find, they're going to put it through every loophole they can and hope that you'll go away and just pay it out of pocket. Um, I touch base in my book about my emergency room visit and how it went to collections when it had been paid like eight months earlier. They just didn't get it. And once I got the collection agency, they were like, oh, no, we're kicking this back. Thank you. And, uh, and then even then, I still got a bill from the hospital. So. Um, it's just craziness. And the story that you alluded to when I was closing down my aunt's estate, it, mm-hmm. that wasn't a, a ton of money and, you know, in retrospect, but they just wouldn't settle on it. And so when I talked to my medical doctor friend, I said, I'm having a lot of problems getting this insurance claim solved. Uh, and he's, and he said to me, just call the Senator's office. So average Americans don't know they can do this, but you can call your Senator's office um, your congressman's office and say, hey, I need some help getting this settled. When I called, I was on hold for maybe 30 seconds and an aide said to me, oh, we got a guy over there. We'll take care of this. So within a week, 
I had notification they were going to take care of it. Within two weeks, I had a check. Um, but not a lot of people know that, you know, you go to your elected officials, which makes sense because if you look at their campaign contributions, many of them are taking money right. from the insurance company, from the pharmaceutical industry, which is why when you hear people going into office and saying, let's reduce high price prescription drugs, all of a sudden it's crickets once they get in there. Because right. they've been taking money from these guys and they can't bite the hand that feeds them. Oh, I mean, it's just crazy goodness. when you look under the covers. Medicare has a law that basically says you can't negotiate drug prices. The Department of Health and Human Services cannot negotiate down drug prices for Medicare. So if you have a Medicare population across the country and they're all taking Lipitor and you're, you're dealing out like, you know, 50 million tabs of Lipitor, you can't negotiate with right. the pharmaceutical company to drive the cost down. Right. Yeah. My goodness. That's crazy. Um, speaking of drug dealing. <laughs> <laughs> Are we going to go there? <laughs> I don't deal drugs. I only deal with supplements and herbs and lifestyle, you know, adjustments. But prescriptions are very expensive. But I also, as a holistic nutritionist, I'm always finding very effective natural alternatives that are very cheap. And I can see how this wouldn't make you know, the healthcare industry money. And they're like, well, forget that. Like who would want to take berberine instead of a metformin, you know, whatever right. it is. <laughs> um, so <laughs> it's like, <laughs> so what are you, I love the, I love the chapter on value-based healthcare. Can you talk about that concept and can we get sure. into that? Cause I feel like that's where we need to go. I don't know how we're going to get there, but I feel like that's where we need to go. Well, if we keep driving the GDP up um, to like 19.7%, we're going to get there pretty quick because um, we're spending more in healthcare than we are in anything else in our lives. Wow. So it, it's craziness. Um, and, you know, the American model is save and save and save for retirement and then spend it all in the last couple of years while you're deteriorating, which is exactly. a, a, a crazy model, right? And so we have shorter life expectancies over here than they do in, in Europe and different places like that. Um but value-based care, and I'm glad you brought that up. So under the current fee for service, when mm -hmm. you show up at the doctor's office or the hospital, you're making the money. If you don't show up, they don't make anything, right? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. um, when, we saw, when we saw COVID, for instance, nobody was going to get their elect elective procedures because they said, you know, I don't want to get COVID. So all of a sudden, we, the taxpayers, are bailing out the hospitals to keep the doors open. Wow. Right. And so... In value-based care, that's a, a capitated or you get a certain amount of money per patient. So there's a group of doctors that work together. They're called an accountable care organization, and that's how it's administered. So if you go to see your general practitioner and he says, hey, you need to see a cardiologist, then you're going to stay within network so that they can keep the money. They're going to get a certain amount, and they're charged with keeping you healthy and out of the hospital um, through a variety of ways. So you can see if you're... If you look at some of the data like I have out there, you're going to get the flu shot notification more often than the person who is under fee for service. You're also going to get notified about your colonoscopy. And if you don't schedule it, they're going to call and bother you for it because they're all about the proactive care. And that's where healthcare needs to go. So in the time that we were bailing out hospitals that were under fee for service, value-based care saved $4.1 billion dollars. Wow. Because people didn't have to show up for them to get their reimbursement, right? Right. They just, the money came in, the doctor split it, and they just waited until the people felt comfortable coming back. So it is the answer. Um, it's the answer to the what we 
theme is the American healthcare system payment structure. And it, it's tough for some of the doctors because you have to have a certain amount of patients to go at risk in, a, in something like that. So if you have five patients, it may not pay off um, as much as 500,000 patients will pay off. But there are some big organizations that are doing that uh, and trying to pump through legislation so we can do more of it. So it's a very interesting time right now, but because of the cost of healthcare, they're going to have to do something different. Man, I really, I really hope that that becomes our future. I I feel like it's necessary for so many reasons, not only because it's creating better patient outcomes, but I think it's also checking healthcare professionals who don't have their heart in the right place. And they're not actually, um, they're just not, they're just not being, they're not doing no harm. They're doing harm regularly. And like some of the stories in your book were a little scary of people who like were left unchecked and literally people died or people got, you know, hurt by these professionals. So I think it's really important that we start incentivizing the right things in healthcare so that people actually care about people getting better, that we are rewarded for people being, not being sick versus, you know, how sick can we get you? How many pills can we get you? <laughs> yeah, another great reason to have a, a nurse or a medical professional in your network that works in the local community hospital is when you have to have surgery, you can say, hey, I'm supposed to see Dr. So-and-so and they can and tell you, oh yeah, he's really good. You should go see him. Or, oh boy, I would strongly suggest you ask to be go see this doctor who has better outcomes. There's a story in my book where I was in the grocery store and actually yeah. had to actually have a conversation with a lady I overheard her saying she was going to get a procedure done by some doctor I knew had bad outcomes. And then all of a sudden she's in front of me in the frozen foods section. And I'm like, Hey, I think can't tell you who I am, but I really think you ought to change your doctor. Cause I work at the hospital and his patients don't do that well as, as some of the other doctors. Yeah. She said, Thank you. And when I saw her there, she's under the care of another doctor. So, but I couldn't do that if I was prepping her for surgery as right. a medical professional, that hospital would have fired me. Right. But out in the community, I could do it. So it's. I remember that story, and I was thinking to myself when I read the story, how would, if she didn't come across you, and how else would she have gotten information about that surgeon? Yeah, she wouldn't have unless she checked the star yeah. ratings that we talked about. Um, okay. Yeah. Okay. So the star ratings are very important. Yep. They're okay. definitely very important. Okay. Awesome. The other um, site that I that you can check, really check um, individual doctors is healthygrades.com. Okay. So that's that's easier than the CMS website for doctors. CMS website's great for hospitals, mm-hmm. but you really have to know what you're doing to get in there and check doctors. So okay. Healthygrades.com. You can check, you can pull it up right now and check your local doctor. Those are real people giving real reviews on doctors. That's really good to know. So you can also go there to give a review on a doctor if you had a good yes. experience. Or awesome. a bad experience, correct. Awesome, awesome. Um, there was something you mentioned. You said we need to re-examine how some of these government organizations, CDC, FDA, um, these people who are sort of mandated to look out for our health, but then they're intertwined politically. And I, it didn't really elaborate, but I feel like because of the pandemic, I feel like this has been highlighted even more so. Like, it's kind of right. like, wow, there's a huge relationship here. Can you give me some of your thoughts, I guess, on how we could change those relationships to make it better for patients? Sure. So what I think is, um, and I'll give you a prime example. 
the CDC during the first part of the pandemic, when they were telling you to wear bandanas and things like that, really mm -hmm. the message they were trying to get across was don't run out there and buy all the masks because the healthcare professionals don't have them. Right. So, but they weren't honest with us. They were giving us, they were giving us bad information. Wear a bandana, you know, wear a, a scarf, whatever. Um, those, that was not good information. Sure. It's a barrier, you know, a, a barrier helps, but not to the degree where you shouldn't be giving people accurate information because we don't have the supplies. Right. And so that kind of stuff diluted the fact that people would, couldn't trust them. They were like, what, did, what are they going to come out with this week? Um, right. And so these federal agencies that are all tied to the government, they're not always looking out for your best interests. Sometimes when you have um, somebody in office who wants to, you know, kind of put a spin on health care, they're obligated to do that. And if they don't, they end up leaving, like we saw many folks do under Trump's administration. They just left. Mm -hmm. they, they couldn't do it anymore mm -hmm. um, because mm -hmm. of their own professional integrity. And I applaud those people or anybody that would leave under Biden's administration if that was going to happen there. So what I'm talking about is I think we need a grassroots effort and somebody who isn't tied to the government to be able to say, hey, when the CDC says to you, wear a bandana, what they're really saying is don't go out and buy the mats right now because the healthcare professionals need them. So what, what they really should say to you is stay home until we figure this out. Give us a couple weeks, use Instacart, use this, use that, you know. I mean, that's what they should be doing. Yeah. Um, and we just don't have that in this country. We have people who are out there, even you can get as much, you can get right information or wrong information right now. And lots of times when you're getting wrong information, the one thing to watch out for is the person giving it to you is asking for donations, asking <laughs> for donations to fund what they're doing. And so that's right. one of the things I found out as I look at research now. Right. That's... <laughs> That's so interesting. Hmm. Yeah. Um, well, this has been awesome. Um, I guess if you wanna, if you wanna, what other you talk about how to be your best you as we wrap it up, what are some things I guess that you can recommend? I guess we're on the same page because I'm like, I want to keep everyone out of the hospital. Please don't go there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> because if I, if you're in your house, I know I can tell you to, you know, eat X, Y, and Z and use this, and you'll be more comfortable, you'll get more sleep. There's so many benefits to staying in your house if if you can afford to and if it's not a crazy emergency. But what are some things that you would recommend for people to hopefully avoid being a victim uh, in general and having to head over to the hospital on a regular basis? Yeah, so food choices are very important. So when you're going to lunch, if you're going to choose between a, you know, a Big Mac or you're going to choose to have a, a nutritionally sound salad, those little many choices that you make, make up the macro of your healthcare. So mm -hmm. you have all these many choices that you make each day. To, you know, are you going to go out for an hour walk or are you going to binge watch Netflix on the TV? Those kind of choices are very important. I'm not saying, you know, when it's raining on a Sunday, don't watch, binge watch Netflix and you can't go for a walk. But, you know, th those choices are important to how your healthcare is going to be. I shared with you prior to this interview that I became vegan last year and um, you know, my I, my family has problems with high cholesterol. My doctor was like, you've got the blood work of an Olympic athlete. What's going on? My wife, who um, ha had been eating meat, she had been a vegetarian many years ago, but she, within three months of eating meat, she got gout. And all of a sudden she got neuropathy in her foot that dropped. Well, since we've both gone on a vegan diet, all of that has gone away. I mean, mm -hmm. I used to have trigger finger and that's gone. I mean, there's just no inflammation. So 
Diet's a very, very important of it, part of it and making those right choices. And I say that to the listeners here who probably do practice a good diet, but the reason why you probably want my book, it's not only to educate you when you do have to access it, but those older relatives of yours that don't follow the same way we all do and eating and all of that, they need this book because you're not going to change their mindset and they're going to end up in the American healthcare system at some point. So, I mean, that's, I have, I can't tell you how many letters I get from people, younger people who say, I got a copy of this. I read it and I gave it to my father or I gave it to my mother. So that's very, very important. And that's exactly what I'm trying to do is just educate people, keep them out of the hospital, especially now with the staffing ratios where they are, um, keep them out of it and keep them safe. And your part to be a better partner in your healthcare is what you eat, how much sleep you get, just like you said, um, what kind of many choices you make to affect your macro health care. Yeah, I I love all of that. I'm giving my dad this book because I'm his advocate. So I prevent a lot of the crazy things from happening because doctors prescribe antibiotics like candy. They oh, do yeah. all kinds of crazy stuff and I just check them all. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm going to give him this book so he can get an even deeper understanding of what I'm doing because I always have to I'll be like, dad, doctors can kill you. Like, I need you to understand because they don't even read sometimes medication interactions. It's right. frightening. Anyway. Because well, I, be, because they have no skin in the game. Right. They, right. If they were under a value-based model, they, they're, they're looking at everything. Trust me. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's why I think we got to change. But I love what you just said, because for me, I like to think of if I'm going to have health insurance, it's really going to be like, almost like an emergency thing only. And for me, I'm putting all of my energy and time in. How am I... Um, tracking my behaviors, my my healthy rituals, my lifestyle stuff, finding the diet that actually works for me because uh, you know there's a whole thing too. Different diets sometimes don't gel with the different people, but plant based diets are super powerful. So I loved your story, um, but yeah, like I, I think that's what we all should be focused on. And one of the disappointments for me with the pandemic was I felt like we missed an opportunity to get a lot of really really intense messaging out there of like. This is the time to get your health together because all of your daily actions make up the sum total of your immunity. It's not just like you can just now buy vitamin C because all the vitamin C was like gone in all the supplement (laughs) portals. And I was like, guys, like this is like a, you know, this is a daily walk. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, just just to say this. So a lot of um, the baby boomer generation, they grew up with it. You get, should get four servings of dairy a day. You should get four servings of meat a day, right? They, they didn't talk much about vegetables. So we're really like salmon swimming up a stream trying to teach these guys that, hey, what you got was controlled by the FDA and everybody was making a profit off of what you were eating in, in the meat industry and in the dairy industry, but it was not the best thing for you. Right. Um, yeah, it's the same thing with processed foods, right? It's so much easier to pick up a can of SpaghettiOs than to make a real spaghetti dinner. But right. it's all processed and it's garbage. It's not nutritional. There's no nutritional value in it. So I think what you said definitely sums it up. And so we have to reach people like what you're doing and like what I'm doing. And hopefully we get enough people that, that light bulb comes on and they say, you know what? I really do make to, need to make some lifestyle changes to be healthy. And that's awesome. what it's all about. Love it. Love it. 
Um, where can we find your book, How to Avoid Being a Victim of the American Healthcare System? Where do we find it on online or where do yes, we Yes, you can. I am a self-published author um, <laughs> because I don't know if anybody would have really touched me. Um, but <laughs> it's on Amazon. There's a lot of research in it with a lot of references in the book, as you know. Um, and, it, and it's set up to teach you how to be safe, to teach you where your healthcare dollars are going, and to, to talk about how we build a better system, which includes people going to nurses and doctors that are away from these government-controlled entities to find out what is really going on. Love it. I'm going to link um, your book in the show notes for anyone who wants to get it. I highly recommend it. I'm also giving it to my dad. Thank you so much, Dr. Thank Will you for, Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Are you interested in living your best, healthiest life? I'm Asosa E, also known as The Raw Girl of therawgirl.com, and I'm a certified nutrition specialist and behavioral coach who specializes in helping you discover what exercise and diet is best for your body and get to the root cause and rebalance if you have a serious chronic condition. Clients who've worked with me have reversed diabetes, hypertension, balanced hormonally, gotten rid of acne for good, and lost hundreds of pounds. If you are interested in reaching your health goals with some support this year, visit therawgirl.com to sign up for a 20-minute call with yours truly. Until then, stay healthy and happy. All right, all right. It's time to take a question from Instagram or email. Remember, if you would like to have your question answered on the show, all you got to do is send me a DM, slide up in my DMs on Instagram at therawgirl, or contact me via my website, therawgirl.com. Today's question is from Chelsea via Instagram. She says, as a beginner who is interested in practicing holistic health, what is best to start with? Hi, Chelsea. Great to hear from you. Holistic health in a nutshell is looking at how to optimize your diet, lifestyle choices, and supplementation to be at your best. The simplest way that you can begin is to look first at where you are now. Is your diet consisting of whole foods? Are you consuming any foods that you know you have allergies to or produce negative reactions in your body? Do you drink enough water daily? Do you feel like your diet gives you the energy that your body needs? Have you had any recent deficiencies in your blood work that point to the need for supportive supplementation? These questions will lead you to some things that you can start changing today. When it comes to lifestyle, are you stressed? If so, do you have a daily stress relieving practice? If not, have you tried walking in nature, prayer, meditation, yoga, or other mindfulness techniques that resonate with you? Do you exercise? If so, how often? Start by assessing where you are and writing down where you want to be. From there, you can figure out some simple steps that you can take daily to make progress. And if you need more support assessing your nutritional status, feel free to come see me or find a nutritionist near you that can help. I really hope this helps you. All right, y'all, it is time to wrap up the show for the day. I hope you learned a thing or two from today's episode that will help you navigate the healthcare system better. If you're abroad, I would love to hear comments from you about how the medical system where you live is either similar or different for what we have in America. Remember, the healthcare system has a lot of shortcomings and you should really take care of your health as naturally as possible. And then when you need to use the system, I hope you remember the tips shared by our guests and put them to good use. 
It's important overall that to remain in good health, you focus on your health from a holistic perspective and not solely focus on treating whatever disease or diagnosis you are given with medication. It's easier said than done. But if you can put your energy on being in good health through daily practices, you should be able to utilize Western medical care more for emergencies. That's how I intend to use it for my entire life, by God's grace. (laughs) Today, I leave you with a quote by Clayton M. Christensen, which says, There are more than 9,000 billing codes for individual procedures and units of care, but there is not a single billing code for patient adherence or improvement or for helping patients stay well. Well, that's all for today, sis. If you're looking for more health tips or have a question for the show, find me on Instagram at TheRawGirl. You can also find me and contact me through my website, TheRawGirl.com. For more on the show or to listen to past episodes, visit StayingAgelessShow.com. 